Parcel shipping costs continue to rise, and consumers are getting tired of packaging waste. What if you could solve both problems at the same time? I'm James Malley, CEO and co-founder at Packurate. Our packing intelligence platform helps you determine your ideal mix of box sizes and gives you complete control over how they're packed in real time. So you can minimize costs, delight your customers, and ship sustainably. Learn more at packurate.io. Matthew Smith here with the one and only Tony Mulvey and Tony I don't know if you saw that but we have a fancy new commercial on the beginning of our show you do and it's impressive look at y'all you and Zach are are fancy we're doing stuff now and and in regards to that commercial I have to give a huge shout out to Packerit and with no more fighting with spreadsheet pack simulate harnesses the power of Packerit's patented carbonization algorithm so you can simulate millions of parcel shipments and identify your ideal carton mix learn more at packerit.io so packerit huge shout out thank you so much for sponsoring us making the show happen so but tony you're here today and yep. this is the the tony tony show and this is as econy as it gets right this yeah. is very freightonomics but it's more of a emphasis on the economics aspect on of it for, day, for today yeah absolutely i mean i think the last time i was on with you we that's what we spent most of the time <laughs> talking about so it i was gonna have you on on the spot this morning because it talked about economics oh. i mean it's one of my it's what my degrees in yeah. I, I remember those the de- the college days of studying the basics of econ and then obviously the more nuanced stuff yeah. i got a question for you what was your favorite econ class I loved macro econ, but I did better in micro for some reason. Interesting. Yeah. I always like what I'm not good at. Yeah. Well, would, that was me. I liked econometrics, okay. right? And that class was... Yikes. Yeah. It, I think the class <laughs> average was like 48 or something like that. But Big curve. It was a... Big curve. It was difficult, it. but it was fun. It's a fun time. And one of the things I love about economics, it really meshes so well with freight. Because yeah. when you're thinking about freight, it just comes back down to supply and demand every single time. And we were just talking about Packer and we were just talking about LTL and kind of leading it off with this news onomics. One of the big things that we have to talk about is one of the latest stories from our very own Mark Solomon. And he's talking about shippers face new normal and parcel shipment rate increases. And so talking about this, we're looking at some of the key takeaways that there are GRIs, general rate increases, in the new normal, shippers should be prepared for a shift in the magnitude and structure of GRIs. Yeah, I mean, you start looking at it and you see FedEx and UPS announce GRIs of 5.9% for 2024. I mean, it's a smaller increase, but it's an increase. And I think that's the key takeaway is, one, UPS follow FedEx's lead here. And, and two, I mean, you're talking... The pre-pandemic increases were 4.9%. So, I mean, you're up above those. What's interesting is, like, you're in a relatively weak peak season. I mean, even from a partial shipper perspective, it's going to be relatively weak, just given the, the macroeconomic headwinds that, that consumers face. But it sure seems like these GRIs are here to stay. And it's not just parcel that 
that sees these, right? I mean, you see it in LTL companies, right? Old Dominion and your Sias and, and the like, they all announce GRIs too. The the bigger kicker is who's paying the GRI, right? right. Because they I mean they work with their shipper customers the same way trucking company like full truckload companies work with their shipper customers, right? They they don't pay no two rates are the same. So while it it appears like you're paying these rate increases and you walk in off the street and pay, you're gonna pay more. But if you're a large parcel shipper, you're probably you may not be victim to the same increase that everybody else is. Yeah, and I think one of the big things that you hit on there is who's gonna be paying those increases mm-hmm. and really it always flows downhill to us at yeah. some point in time. And so we're looking at increases in prices. And one of the other things that we're going to talk about a little bit later, hint towards it, is going to be, of course, inflation, yeah. PPI, CPI. We saw some uh, some increases there. So not going to jump into it just yet because we have a few more uh, talking points here. Definitely getting into another one that might start to get into some of those consumer side of things. That's going to talk to more of Air Cargo. Mm-hmm. So we have an article from Eric Coolidge talking about Air Cargo. We don't talk about Air Cargo too much on yeah. this show but I think it's pertinent because we're thinking about when I'm thinking about air cargo, I'm thinking a lot of times around consumer goods. Um, I mean, there's a mixed bag, of course, but a lot of times I'm thinking about consumer goods for the most part. And one of the big things in this takeaway um, is that there could be a saving grace from e-commerce. Yeah. And I think that's one of the interesting things. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head with in terms of air cargo, it is con- really he- consumer goods. I mean, it's your lighter weight consumer goods, but it's also your super high value consumer goods, right? Think iPhones and the like, like they're not real heavy, but, and you can fit a lot of them per kilogram or per thousand kilograms or hundred kilograms. I mean, it doesn't, so to that aspect, I mean, it's these high value goods moving into very secure areas, right? I mean, there's what, arguably very few places more secure than an airport. Uh, So, it's one of those, there are, there's challenges, right? I mean, demand's obviously down, what, 8 to 10% since spring of 2022. And when demand was booming, one of the issues was, and this is not just air cargo, it's, I mean, everywhere, right? Capacity backlogs grew. The issue is it takes a lot longer to build a plane than it does <laughs> to build a truck. So like the, and then when you take hold of them, it's like, well, now I have this plane. What do I do with it? It's not like I can go turn it around and sit. It's a lot harder to sell an old plane uh, and take ownership of the new one. It's there's bigger, more capital intensive investment. I mean, it's hard to say it's investment, but it's I think that's one of the challenges is that Boeing starting to forecast some growth, which is a positive if you're a Boeing shareholder yeah. and because that stock has been just beat up in the past few years. Yeah. And I mean, we're looking at air cargo of, like I mentioned earlier, like we talked about, of course, a lot of it's going to be heavily anchored to what's going on with the consumer and looking at their expectations for mm-hmm. growth. They're really hanging a lot of the, their expansion moving forward on the consumer, on e-commerce. And I think that's a big one, especially when we start to look at some of the consumer conditions going on right now. Labor market is holding up for the time being, seemingly. Um, Not the same composition of jobs that we saw throughout the pandemic, um, but definitely still there. Big on the services, of course. uh, we got to talk about service spending. That's been a huge one, of course. 
um, that's not going to feed into some of those uh, air cargo goods demand. But services has been just completely wild, especially throughout the summer. Um, anecdotal, of course, you look through any of mm-hmm. your social media feeds, you're going to see someone at a Taylor Swift concert, yeah. at a Drake concert, at a Beyonce concert, at uh, any type of, of pop music artist concert. They're just traveling. Zach is somewhere gallivanting in Europe, yeah. um, having a good old time. But people are traveling and they're, I think this is going to persist into some of the winter months. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things to remember and right, they're, they're trying to ride the coattails of e-commerce. And you think about what COVID did, it created a pull forward of e-commerce demand, right? I mean, like it, what did it surge to like 60% of spending during the pandemic? And it's since fallen back down, but it seems like there's only so much that can go. Like you're, you're finding from a consumer perspective is now things have become more available in store and things like that, right? You're not dealing with the shortages, right? You can go to a store and buy what you're looking for same day. How much does that shift as, because yeah. I mean, we've talked about it, right? Retailers and like this destocking phase and inventory correction, like do they correct to a level where they're trying to push people to e-commerce or is it? So I think that's going to be an interesting thing that plays out and it may not play out right now. But over time, the other interesting part is, I mean, majority of air cargo is moved by passenger plane. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the services, spending and travel and things like that. Like you're oversupplying the market, right? So it's like if you're one of these, just a freighter company, like you're at risk now with oversupply, like the market being oversupplied, right? And it's going to affect rates and it's going to affect demand because it's easier to move demand across when you have the passenger airlines back. So I think it's it's a very interesting time from the air freight perspective because you took out all this capacity with travel halted. Now it's been added back, but you were also trying to add freighter conversions and things like that during the same period. And now you've done it and your demand's starting to kind of dwindle to some extent seems like a recipe for an oversupplied market, kind of like in the truckload space right now. And that's the interesting thing within the supply chain, within the freight world. We always see these ebbs and flows, Mm -hmm. but it always seems like there is an oversupply, then undersupply, oversupply, then undersupply in almost every segment of the supply chain overall. Um, One of the big things, of course, that we were talking about yesterday on one of the top stories for Freightways Now was with uh, Lori Ann LaRocco, CSNBC correspondent, also a contributor to um, American Shipper. Uh, is what's going on at uh, the canal mm-hmm. and really seeing that there's such a backlog of ships there. Yeah. And really, folks are still sending their ships, or as Zach would like to say, boats, since he's not here to say it, um, through the canal instead yeah. of, you know, routing all the way around through the horn and yeah. just kind of taking that longer route. But that's kind of telling me that there's a lack of urgency that, yep. you know, hey, we don't have to get this in the warehouse just yet. I mean, what? What's the rush here? So people are taking that hit, saying, hey, you know what? I'm okay with the backlog. Just get it there. Yeah, it's one of the, and that's the biggest shift really you've seen, right? I mean, that's why people, when you had the backlog in LA, right? People shifted because they can move things into Savannah and Elizabeth and those East Houston. You can move things into those port markets a little easier, right? Eventually the backlogs hit the East Coast. Now, 
there is that there's no time sensitive like what happens if okay a shipment gets there two weeks later well okay it's a week less that it has to spend in a warehouse or something yeah. like that. like it accelerates maybe the final move once it's here but it's not like okay it as long as it's here before what october 15th <laughs> you're probably okay yeah i mean like odds of it making it to the shelf for for that the retail peak season even if you want to call it that anymore because it shifted right yeah. i mean you look at what amazon's doing with like prime big deal days in october whenever that is like that's just moving the peak season effectively pulling it forward or lengthening like you may see a surge and then hopefully that it sustains itself from October through December, but it, it creates this risk of a pull forward, kind of what you've seen on the ocean, right? I mean, it peaked, that freight, the demand levels on the ocean peaked about three, four weeks earlier than normal. So I think that there's a risk there that you're pulling, everybody thinks peak is November, December. Well, maybe now it's going to be October into November. Mm. We'll see how it plays out, but definitely. And I mean, of course, we're also talking about here the drought impacting the Panama Canal, mm -hmm. limiting the amount of ships that can make its way through. So that's definitely one to watch. You can check our FreightWaves.com website for that one, of course. Um, but also one of the other big things that we have to talk about here is going to be around logistics managers index. Yep. Of course, Dr. Zach Rogers, we appreciate you and we're looking forward to getting you back here on the show um, sooner rather than later. So hopefully you can work out all those yeah. IT and tech issues and firewalls. I promise we're not trying to hack you, Zach. You can let your team know. But we're looking at the LMI. One of the big things that we saw was that there was a result of 51.2 percentage points in the overall LMI. That was an increase of 5.8 percentage points. So it went from contraction now to expansion. One of the big ones from that is going to be, of course, inventory costs, which increased 8.6% now at 69.1%. And we also saw an increase in warehouse utilization now up to 57.8. So definitely a lot of moving parts here um, now seeing that there's expansion in the overall LMI. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a positive. You look deeper into it, right? You see transportation prices dwindling or still in contraction. Not a surprise. We've talked about it. now the rate. Uh, I haven't looked at the LMI hand up, but I mean, you start looking at like contract rates from a drive-in perspective, like the rate of decline has slowed, but they're still declining. Uh, and then you look at inventory levels, right? You talked about inventory cost increasing. So the cost of that inventory is increasing. I think that's why you're seeing inventory levels contract, right? They're trying to offset the, co the cost increases by reducing the inventory levels, right? We've, we've talked about the inventory levels, I don't know, for months, oh, heck, over a year now needing to correct themselves and they have largely especially at the large retailers they have the ability to do it with relative ease mm. smaller businesses don't have that same ability that right they they're kind of stuck i don't say stuck with the inventory but it's a more difficult task right they can't hide some of these inventory reductions in the form of discounts and things like that like their margins are so thin that they can't like for a Walmart, for example, they've been able to reduce their inventory, but how do they do that, right? They can discount certain things, but they're making margin back by on grocery or things like that, right? You're seeing their private label margins expand. And it's like, okay, well, if they take a, a hit here 
in say electronics, that margin squeezes, but they grow it in, in grocery and being the world's largest grocery, it doesn't look so bad, right? They can mask these inventory gluts that they had and, and reduce them to a way by discounting, but they're making it up on a different, whereas a smaller business doesn't have that same luxury. Yeah, and I think it's interesting we're looking at, of course, one of the big things that uh, Dr. Zach Rogers and team highlighted here is that um, a lot of the growth is being spearheaded by um, larger firms. So yep. um, that growth is definitely starting to happen with investments in inventory and warehousing, contrasting um, the the slight report from the previous month. But um, we're seeing that in both upstream and downstream firms. Yep. And one of the big things that I, I kind of am looking for moving into more of these holiday seasons i feel like it was just almost like it's been a holiday season now we're about to go into another holiday season yeah. and i don't know this year is just flying by i don't know about all you guys but it's been flying by for me but we're looking at uh, one of the big things for the consumers as you know we never bet against american consumer no. they're going to spend until they're on that last dime and so one of the big things that i'm expecting is before consumers just shut it down altogether and this is why i was a little bit suspect of that that seeming evening out in the most recent or the previous um, credit card utilization report yeah. um, that was released that showed some sideways or downward, slightly downward movement for revolving credit was that consumers will likely trade down in, in goods mm -hmm. before they stop spending overall. Even if we're seeing, of course, student loans uh, right around the corner, we're seeing, of course, I think a big one that not a lot of people are talking about are going to be uh, car payments, yeah. car notes. That thing are going to definitely be a meaningful talking point in the coming months here, especially as we get to the holiday season. Folks are going to definitely start to say, hey, you know what? I got to get uh, out of this car before I get out of this house. So I'm not so much con concentrating on homes or mortgages just yet, but I think cars going to be a big one to watch. I think consumers are going to start trading down in the goods before they stop goods altogether. And I think there's going to definitely be a bigger portion um, put on services that we've seen probably in years before. Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the interesting things is, I mean, I looked at Bank of America. They released a survey uh, studying consumer debt. And it was like more people had missed a credit card payment or were had missed a credit card payment in the last six months than didn't miss any payment across any loan. I think that's interesting. Mm. And I'm looking, I've got a chart here that I got it. Twitter from a car dealership guy, uh, which incredible follow, by the way. Sounds uh, legit. But it was talking about, well, this comes from Equifax and Moody's, and it was talking about delinquencies by type of debt. And you see consumer loans up over 5%, credit cards up almost 4%, auto loans up at almost 4%. They're, they're at like decade highs, all of them. And I think that is a concern is that we're at these these delinquencies are rising at a rate that is borderline terrifying because it, it resembles what it looked like going into 2008. And granted, we're not at the levels, but the, the upward move, then you factor in what happens when these student loan payments come back. I mean, I got the email this morning about, from my perspective of like what mine's going to cost me each month. And it's, it, does it affect, how does it affect each consumer by themselves, right? We can talk about the actual impacts, right? If what is it estimated like 14 billion uh, a month in terms of taking that out of the economy. It's not a huge percentage when you look at retail sales, but I think it's, what does that do to the psyche, 
like the psychiatric side of it. Oh, hey, this bill's coming back. Like we got to tighten even more than what we thought until like it's like this. Let's see how it plays out. And then we can come back to spending. I think that's mm. what you're going to see is maybe the initial impacts are greater than what they maybe should be. But then it works its way back to equilibrium because that's kind of how it happened with COVID, right? If you go look at like the personal savings rate, obviously stimulus impacted, but the initial, there was just an initial surge. And that's why you saw freight demand drop mm -hmm. like off a cliff is because people didn't know what, what to come. Like the psychiatric side of it came out. Like they were thinking, oh, everything's ending. Like we need to save as much money. Like the world is ending. And then it worked its way back out to the spending boom. I'm wondering if this doesn't have a similar impact, not similar as in terms of the same magnitude, but an impact like that where the initial impact is greater than what it actually turns out to be in the long run. Yeah. And I think um, when we're looking at the state of the consumer and really, I think the overall macro economy, including the Fed, mm -hmm. they are up for an interesting time because yeah. this is going to be one of the scenarios that we were talking about months ago where okay, inflation not below or anywhere near 2% just no. yet. Um, starting to see it actually increase, especially with the aid of energy prices yep. and gas. Um, we can kind of talk to it a little bit right now. CPI up 0.6% in the latest month, up 3.7% over the last 12 months with an overall increase of 5.6% in energy. I know that's a lot of percentages, but big one here that you got to think about is going to be the gain of 10.6% in gasoline. And of course, shelter up 7.3% year over year. So these are going to be some of the more volatile, of course, segments, but yeah. segments that are definitely necessary for a lot of Americans, especially going into some of the winter months where we're going to need energy to be utilized for heating a lot of the different areas. Yeah, that's typically where you see the energy prices increase or into the winter months. I think the, the big call outs, the 0.6 month over month is the largest increase at any month over the last 12 months. So over the last year, this is the largest increase month over month. And then the other one, core right mm -hmm. remove that fuel food remove the energy it's up 4.3 percent year over year that is what the fed is looking for to get to two percent yeah and that seems one like a pipe dream because everything continues to rise but it also fuels their fire or adds fuel to their fire of raising interest rates i see what you did there yeah i see what you did there tony yeah. adding fuel to the fire yeah. gasoline fuel price yeah. yeah that's good but i mean that's it it Feels like it's set up for another rate increase, which is a demand destructor. And we've already raised them so high and so fast that it hasn't actually been felt, I don't think. I think you're still f starting to see or feel the impacts of higher interest rates. And if they go and raise them again, it's like, how far are we going to go? Because it feels like you're going to start really squeezing the consumer and that in a time where they're going to get squeezed in other ways and you don't you really want to kill the economy it it feels like it would be overkill yeah and i think one of the big thing uh that that is kind of counterintuitive to some extent is going to be some of the deficit spending that's going yep. on it's kind of like you know talking out of both sides of the mouth from the from the u.s standpoint and so um also we saw the ppi also increase large gain from mm -hmm. energy no surprise there retail sales up as well 0.6 percent in the latest month with a drum roll here, 5.2% increase in gasoline prices. So that's another big yeah. driver there. So 
a lot of energy increases throughout the entire segment. Yeah, I mean, you think about that 5.2% increase at gas stations and you're talking 10.6% increase in prices. So real spending negative month mm -hmm. over month. I mean, pretty, I mean, what is, what if it was one-to-one, -one, it's a, what, a 5% drop? Yeah, and it but gets tricky, but retail sales not even adjusted for inflation. Yeah, and you're up 0.6, so I mean, effectively <laughs> flat. And it's just, some of that's not a surprise, right? I mean, you would have expected, I think it's interesting that it's up, because I would have expected it to be maybe lower month over month, given what you saw in July with retail holidays and the like. But when it's being driven by gasoline, it's hard to, it's easy to offset any risk, I guess, associated with those holidays. Yeah. And, and in closing here, uh, as we got to also thank everyone that made this happy, also, also thank Cubiscan, where we pro provide uh, diminishing weighing and integrated systems, dimensioning, sorry, weighing and integrated systems that increase efficiency and profitability. A WMS, ERP, TMS, or IMS is only as good as the data that powers it. You don't need that bad data. So definitely get yourself some good data and we will help you collect accurate product parcel and pallet data that you can use to power the software systems within your warehouses, distribution centers, and cross stocks. So CubeScan, thanks so much as well for making this show happen. And all of you, thank you as well for watching. Thanks so much, Tony, for yeah. jumping in here as Zach just kind of runs and scurries throughout Europe doing who knows what, just having a good old time supporting the European economy yeah. uh, and not the US one. You could be doing this in Texas. Yeah, it could be better in Texas. It could be better. I hope you should drink and water. Drink and water, everyone. Call your mom.